Like if you could hear. Yeah, I mean, it's just fine. They can hear it. It's fine. It has to be at a certain distance. I was told. How is it? Good for recording. Yeah. بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على أشرف الخلق وسيد المرسلين سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين اللهم افتح لنا فتحا مبينا وارزقنا رزقا مباركا كريما اللهم اجعل القرآن العظيم ربيع قلوبنا ونور أبصارنا وجلاء أحساننا وذهاب همومنا وغمومنا يا رب العالمين اللهم صل وسلم وبارك على سيدنا وحبيبنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين In the name of Allah عز وجل the beneficent, the gracious, the merciful, and may the peace and blessings of Allah Azza be upon his Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Assalamu alaikum Alhamdulillah, it's good to be back. And uh, we're just uh, um, enjoying the bliss of Ramadan. And uh, kind of took a while to kind of overcome, I guess, some of the sadness of uh, the departure, right, of the month. And, Alhamdulillah, here we are. We're alive and Allah never ceases to operate and provide His guidance and His healing and His mercy. Alhamdulillah, you know, Ramadan left, but Allah Azza is with us. And here we are resuming by the mercy of Allah Azza the gift of studying and reflecting on His words. And whatever understandings we have, even our uh, very action of coming to the house of Allah to study His word is, is, a, is an action of Allah. Just keep that in mind. It's the mercy of Allah that steered us here for healing, for, for growth, for enlightenment. Mercy of Allah, pure. And that we're able to live to this moment and, and, and be touched by the revelation of Allah. Azzawajal. And I um, just want to make a comment. So I was really curious, and Sister Zamruda knows why. Uh, I was curious, who will show up today? <laughs> For many reasons, right? Uh, a, it's really early, right? Correct? What else? No, 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 no don't, don't say, yeah. I wanted, to, I wanted to test the brothers here. So it's really early. It's this first uh, gathering after Ramadan, right? For the study of Quran. But... Most powerful factor, the key, the differentiator here, the litmus test, is what? I'm telling you, who knows? Brothers, mashallah, I knew it. None of you knows. There's a cricket match oh, yeah. at 5.30, yeah. Pakistan and India. Yeah. I said yesterday, so they said, you know, a few people that I know, they said, Waiting. watch out, nobody's going to show up. Nobody's going to show up today. I said, the loyal devoted will show up. <laughs> the loyal devoted will show up, but the people who are clueless about cricket will show up. <laughs> Indeed, the clueless about cricket have shown up. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. Billions are watching the match. Billions, it's like the most it's like watched watch. game in history. I should have not said this now. Mm. Right? Oh, Nabi is not going to leave. The most exciting one. Oh, yeah? Alhamdulillah. I'm really impressed. They're literally fighting over Twitter. So, the match is like six hours. Yeah, it's a long time. So, people are, some people are relieved. Now that they know, like, I can go catch the game afterward. 
But may Allah bless you. Jazakallah khair for showing up. I always think it's like, who will show up? I had some names in mind. And they're all here, alhamdulillah. Jamal is not here. Jamal is not here. Oh, he me I'll show up. But maybe sleep overcame him. I know actually some brothers who are g- gathering at a place <laughs> for, the, for the match. So that's serious business, man. Alhamdulillah, Rabbil Alameen. Uh, we'll ask about the score later, inshallah, in half an hour. But don't look at your, don't look at your phones. Alhamdulillah. Surah Al-Sha'ara. What an appropriate, befitting um, timing of studying this surah. That it comes after the month of Ramadan. The month of Ramadan was about the Quran. This is a surah entitled Sha'ara, Sha'ara, the poets. The poets. So the title, as we have uh, described uh, numerous times before, has rich meanings, and it's not randomly selected by Allah Why is it called a sha'ara, and why is that precise, beautiful timing of the surah that it was placed <coughs> in our journey right now after the month of Ramadan? So it has to do with the Qur'an. This is a surah, the main theme of it is the Qur'an. And the month of Ramadan, as we said, is the Qur'an. We have to understand the power of the Qur'an, the healing nature of the Qur'an, and ultimately the operation of the Qur'an. A lot of people struggle because of not understanding the divine origin and the methodology of the Qur'an. They treat it like other normal books and they fail in, 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 in kind of um, sinking with the Qur'an because of this. We'll talk about this inshallah. So ultimately this is a surah whose essence and core is about the Qur'an and the nature and power of the Qur'an and its operation. But why is it called the poets? So in pre-Islamic Arabian culture, one of the major uh, big kind of uh, uh, you know, um, sources of uh, entertainment and a thing that really played a major role in the culture of people was poetry, as we're aware. It constituted a major component of their art, of their culture, of their expression, of their entertainment. And it continues to after Islam. But subhanAllah, this is a very, it was a very dominant force and a mode of expression among the Arabs. And they really excelled at it. But among the things that people kind of uh, uh, thought or believed at the time, because they understood poets, just as we kind of now got to know actors, right? Got to know singers. You know, we know their story. We know what kind of moved them. We know their motivations. We know their business, right? And we kind of, you know, people like to listen to music generally, but they know the ins and outs of music. It's not a secret anymore, is it? At the time, the beliefs that they had about poets, and this is a false belief, clearly, but this is their understanding, common understanding of the Arabs, is that poetry, the source of poetry was from jinn and shayateen, right? It, doesn't necessarily, it didn't necessarily mean bad or good. They just assumed that it was from the shayateen. So there are some people who associated it with evil, but you know some people didn't. But nonetheless, the source of it in their imagination was that it came from the spirits, right? Sometimes evil, sometimes nasty spirits, sometimes good spirits, but it came from spirits. That's the source of it. So as the, soon as the Qur'anic revelation came down, what did people say? What, are, what is one of the major charges against the Qur'an? Not because they want to embrace it, because they want to reject it. Is that 
they listened to it, they kind of started, they're not authentic. They started looking at things in the Quran that they can attack. You know, people who open the Quran for the first time, it's like, I don't want to find what the issues here are with this so that I can attack it and discredit it. A lot of people approach the Quran that way. Many of them actually get guided at the end, right? It's, it's, it's the, subhanAllah, the will of Allah Azza wa Jal. But many don't. But they, or they come with that assumption and they start to look for problems. So the kuffar of the time, uh, who really you know, flipped out at, at, at the impact of this revelation on people, and he challenged their status quo, they were not happy. The elite of, the elitist of Mecca, the privileged class of Mecca, were not happy, and they attacked it, starting with relatives of Prophet Muhammad mm-hmm. So they were looking for issues in it right away, and they didn't really take time to comprehend, because they don't want to be guided. They rejected. So they looked at it, they said, oh, it seems like it has some rhymes in it. Seems like it has some poetic nature to it. Oh, it's poetry. Let's attack it as something, you know, a lot that it that it is ultimately a, you know something of, of a poetic origin or has a poetic nature, you know, to it. And let's spread that claim amongst the people. Why is that a problem? And what is in their their head? Their head is that okay, if it's poetry and people start to believe that it's poetry, then what's the origin of poetry? Uh, evil spirits. See? So they automatically discredit the message and the messenger. And what did they call the messenger? Prophet Muhammad. They said, mm, let's think of things we can label him with. So that we can completely undermine his reputation and just and you know make others cause him to, to, to totally dismiss him, right? And reject whatever he brings without even having to look at it. Let's call him what? A sorcerer, a magician, but also let's call him a poet. Because people understand poets just as we understand singers. So they like them, they get entertained by them, but they're not going to be ultimately like, you know, impacted and influenced. And they're going to assume that it's evil, that it's, that, it's, that it's from spirits, and spirits are lying, spirits are evil, etc., etc. And then the, the whole message is shattered. That's what this surah is about. So Allah Azzawajal entitled it Ash'ara, right? He's going to address what specifically in this surah Given those charges against the Quran, he's going to describe the distinction. Why is this not poetry? How different is it from poetry? And what is the behavior of poets that really makes it, you know, makes the case clear that this Quran cannot be poetry? So the whole surah is about this, is an elaborate, an elaborate expose, right, and a description, beautiful description of the beauty of this Quran. And how, some, how, how people need to think about it and see it and analyze it and process it, as opposed to poetry. So Allah Azza wa Jal lays out few essential principles about the Quran, and I'm going to just go through them quickly, inshallah, uh, and then go back and revisit with mm. some of the passages of the surah, the powerful passage of surah. So Allah is going to describe the power of the Quran in this, in the, in this surah as distinguished from poetry. And he's going to highlight these elements and features and characteristics of the Quran. And he's going to show us in the surah the impact of the ayat, of the signs of Allah in general, but also the signs within the Quran and their impact on people. And he's going to describe to us the reactions of people when, because he's talking, remember, to who? To the Arabs of the time, and then to all subsequent generations. 
So he's going to take us back into history and recount the stories of people who received what? Not the Quran, but revelations. Because all revelations are consistent, aren't they? They're consistent in their message, in their content, in their ultimate you know, essential goal, although the, the, the language itself was different, and so on and so forth. The style was different. The, the sharias were different. But ultimately, the goal and purpose were the same, right? And they were also consistent in what? In their source. The source of all revelations was, is what? Not spirits, but Allah And Allah highlights in the surah as well that among the remarkable things that people can pick out on, can really yani, um, grasp if they pay attention, if they really are objective, if they open their hearts, they're going to see remarkable consistency not only in all the revelations, which really shows that it, the source is one. Mm. What is this faith about? Tawheed. What is Tawheed? One. So beautiful, so simple. The source is one. The destination is one. The connecting power is one. Allah, Allah, Allah. And we're all interconnected. We're not separate, by the way. We're in connect connected in profound ways. And we're connected to our source in a profound way. The one unifies everything. And the one is the one who sent all the revelations. So, you know, if somebody authored, subhanAllah, is looking, at, you know, I look at, so, so there are some authors that I follow, and I look at a lot of their publications, and many of them just trying to make money. You know what they do with their books? They keep re reprinting the same stuff and kind of you know, reshuffle it a little bit. So you can tell who's the author. I mean, we know. We know the style. SubhanAllah, what about Allah Azza wa Jal? Right? And Allah is, 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 you know, without analogy. No one, no one can be compared to Allah Azza wa Jal. But you're going to find remarkable what? Consistency in his revelation and his guidance. It cannot be like the, the guidance of Musa is different than the guidance for Isa or Ibrahim. Same, same message, same essence. It has to be. So Allah shows us now through stories of prophets in this surah. He's going to recount the stories of multiple prophets of Allah to show us that the revelation, that the guidance of Allah that came to them was consistent in its message, but was also consistent in what? In producing similar consistent reactions from people. Either some believed and others did what? Rejected. And why did they reject? Allah tells us what? All of them, consistent. So he's showing us also consistency of human behavior because they all wanted to, they're all liars. That those who really reject, by the way, there are people who are honest and they're really not convinced. But many are not. Many really reject and resist revelation, why? Because they don't want to, they don't want to follow it. So they start to come up with excuses, right? Manipulate things, and so on and so forth. But they're not honest. They really want to reject. And Allah calls them atham, kadab. They're liars. They're fabricators. And Allah shows us throughout the stories of these prophets that all those who rejected the messages of the prophets were just fabricators and liars. Remarkable consistency. So Allah demonstrates this in the surah and then wraps up the surah by message to the messenger, who is the messenger carrying the Qur'an, Prophet Muhammad Because what happened to him emotionally? He was troubled by what, what, what he was seeing. He was troubled by the, by the hostility from people who were supposed to be receiving this with love and joy and happiness, that they're being sent something to enlighten them and raise them up and save them. And instead, you meet me with, with the love that I'm showing you. 
with my care, with the divine message that I bring you for your transformation, with hostility. So Prophet Muhammad was sad by this. And he was sad that the fate of these people will be like who? The fate of the prior nations. Consistency, Allah shows us in the surah that not only were the reactions consistent throughout history, but that the outcomes were also consistent. What were the outcomes? Those who resisted, Allah shows us in the surah, every single nation that resisted the guidance of Allah, what did they, what happened to them at the end? Perished, destroyed, consistent. No other outcome. They're dealing with Allah, Al-Aziz, the, the, the powerful one, who is also Ar-Rahman, the most merciful, but he's also Aziz. His decision is the ultimate. His will is the ultimate. Nobody can overcome it, right? So they met the same fate over and over. So he wraps up the surah beautifully by talking to the Prophet ﷺ to calm him down. And to tell him what? Don't kill yourself. Don't be sad. Don't grieve to the point where you, you perish. Because it's ultimately the will of Allah And Allah does not force people. Allah does not compel wills of people. Allah guides. And Allah gave us choice. And he made us different than the angels in that we have what? The ability to make decisions and, and, and make cho- choices about things, right? We have will, subhanAllah. And this is, this is a distinctive feature of the human being. Distinctive feature of the human being. So Allah chose it to be as such. So don't kill yourself. Do your part, which is what? Remind and guide. Remind and guide and don't worry about them. Turn to who? Your source and rely on him. Because there's no power except with Allah. And no one can prevent harm that can come to you except Allah. They have no power, no control over everything. Look at the prior nations. And he wraps up the surah beautifully by declaring to all of us the nature of poetry, right? That especially poetry, and we're going to talk about poetry a little bit more, you know, because, you know, is this a declaration in the surah that poetry is haram, for example? Believe it or not, some people. Look at this sort of say, oh, poets are messed up. They're horrible. They're like, because Allah says, You know, the poets, Allah says in this surah, are followed by the, the deluded. So only the people who are deluded follow the poets. You know, some people take this verse very seriously and they misinterpret it. And they really start to actually claim that all poets are misguided. Because Allah sent us a surah that condemned poets. Is this really a condemnation of poetry and, poet, and poets? How do you answer that? They were companions. Exactly, they're companions of the Prophet or poets. They actually furthered the cause of the faith with poetry. Poetry is like music, like any art, like any mode of expression, like even language. Just general, it's ultimately an expression, mode of expression, isn't it? Just as television, that's just internet. It's an instrument. Before Islam, what was it? Allah says, these poets before Islam were wandering without aim, without purpose. They just wanted to entertain people. That's it. Because of this, and there was oftentimes, not all of them, many of them didn't have any moral message to them. Many did. But their ultimate, even if they were good in their poetry, the source was not Allah. They're not inspired by the faith. Does it make sense? So Allah's condemning those who use poetry as such, who, who are not concerned with the moral upbringing of people and so on and so forth, right? 
And they kind of manipulated people with their poetry. There are many poets who seek to do nothing but please the political power. Isn't it true? Like those who just sing the tunes of the people in authority. You know, they, they just use poetry as well, right? Um, so Allah Azza is addressing those specifically. But notice what happened with poetry after the emergence of Islam. What happened with poetry? Poetry was beautified, right? The style has even changed. So the, the, the kind of the tools of poetry were the same, but the message of it changed. And that's why we have companions of Prophet Muhammad who themselves were very inspired and talented in their poetry, but they altered their message completely. That poetry now became a tool, an instrument of what? Of raising people up, of actually helping people be guided of enlightening hearts and souls, of soothing. So poetry is a beautiful thing, just as any mode of art, that any expression of, or, or, or um, uh, um, kind of uh, tool, artistic tool that we have, it can be used for good, it can be used for bad. But that Islam itself and the Quranic message and revelation purifies things, beautifies things, just as it did with poetry. And the evidence is there in history. So. Let's highlight a few things that this surah said before we get into the, some of the content of it. Mm. Allah Azza wa talks about, again, the distinction between the Qur'an and poetry. So among the things that he says, and he's talking to now the minds of everyone. He says, okay, you call this poetry, let's now analyze why this is not poetry. Because it has to be clear in the minds of people. And there are people who will still resist this. Allah Azza wa tells us, what is ultimately, you know, the message... Source, let's talk about source. Where did, again, we, we kind of touched on this, where did poetry come from in the minds of, in the imagination of people before Islam? They claim that it came from spirits. Allah asks clearly in this surah, where did the Quran come from? Did it come from evil spirits, right? People claim it. Allah affirmed. Allah, first of all, has to declare where it came from. So that it's clear in the minds of people, and then he'll explain to us why it came from there, and what is the proof that it came from there. Allah says it came from none, none but Allah it came from none but Allah. So the source is heavenly and it's not evil spirits. But how do we know that it's that? How do we know that it came from Allah The source is God. People that were even confused about what God is and the nature of God. So Allah says, okay, let's, let's take you there. What do evil spirits do? What do these jinn do, right? How do you know what, the, what their um, intentions are? Look at the effect of their, of their works. Isn't it true? Look at the effect of their actions. What have they done with people? Study the impact of their message on people. What have they done? People who follow evil spirits. What, are they, what happens to them? Do you notice they get corrupted? Mm. So the poetry before Islam and those who played with it didn't necessarily produce goodness in society, did they? They did not produce goodness. They produced a lot of mischief, distraction, corruption as well consistent with the actions of society. Make sense? Allah asks us beautifully in this surah, look at the impact of this powerful revelation of people. What has it done to people? This is the revelation that made Umar ibn al-Khattab, what? Turn from a, somebody who's drunkard, abuser, who used his strength to subhanAllah subjugate others, and ultimately wanted to kill Prophet Muhammad وسلم, with his rage. He was so, such a blind man with a revelation touched by a few verses turned into the greatest of the believers. But not only this, he didn't just have this faith in his heart. He became an instrument of justice throughout history. And the evidence, the impact on his heart, 
is evident in his life. How can someone literally turn from death to life overnight? Except that this has to have had to have come from a source divine that is truth, right? That has really created. It's Allah who created. Only Allah and His message can do this. So Allah is asking us to evaluate the Quran by its outcome. The outcome on the hearts of people, brothers and sisters, within the span of few years. The very people who were uh, burying their daughters in, in, in Mecca turned into, <coughs> subhanAllah, the greatest in history and produced a civilization like no other within what? Not 200, 300 years. Within a decade. How has this happened? It's impossible, actually. Impossible, except that they were guided and enlightened by something divine. So I always ask people, we have to use these also um, beautiful insights in talking to people. Because people start to analyze words and get caught up with certain verses and get entangled by them and start to, you know, poor thing. Like many people just struggle and they, they, don't, understand how to, they don't understand how to understand the Quran. Right? And they might tramp, uh, trip up on few verses because they don't understand them and then reject the whole Quran. Our children, many of them do this. So we have to help them understand that. Let's look at the impact of this beautiful, before we even visit verses, what is the impact of this Quran when it came? Because there's no other way to understand the power of the Quran except to look at the evidence of its impact. So Allah asks us, look at the beautification. Look at how it raised people up. Look at how it civilized them. It made them good. It made them moral. It made them upright. Now the question is, can something evil in its source produce such good? Of course not. Because good, evil is concerned with what? Evil. Evil is concerned with corruption, misguidance, spreading mischief, creating problems, making people follow their desires. Does this do this? Allah is asking very objectively, does this do this? How about, how about if we look at the content of the Quran? It's another argument. Allah says, look at the moral content of the Quran. Look at the beautiful ethical message of the Quran. Look at the remarkable consistency in its goodness. Does it call you to anything bad? Does it call you to break your relationships with your parents? Does it call you to cheat? It's all about establishing the balance. It's all about respecting Allah's earth. It's all about calling your mind to think and to turn to the one and not to turn to false idols and false gods, right? It's calling us and summoning us to beautiful, beautiful things. And Allah says, read for yourself and judge for yourself. Another proof that indeed the Quran did not, is not poetry and did not originate from poets. I don't even need to look at the verse. I just need to look at the impact and the general message. And the conclusion is very obvious. Allah further tells us in this, in this surah, at the end of it, as a remarkable um, kind of... Um, point to reflect on, he says to the Prophet Sallallahu um, trying to find the verse, okay, Allah Azza wa says, نَزَلَ بِهِ الرُّوحُ Allah Azza wa says about this Quran, it's not, okay, the, the source of it is not these evil spirits, but who delivered it to? We understand, Allah declared, the source is Allah Azza wa and who did he assign because of the beauty, because of the worth of the Quran, because of the preciousness of the Quran, because the Quran is the ultimate revelation. Allah declared it to be the ultimate revelation. And Allah called it the light, the guide, the healer, 
it's Allah's wisdom in it. Beauty, there's nothing like it. So it was especially protected. So who did he assign to send the Quran to us? To the prophets? Jibreel, the best of the angels. Nazala bihi al-ruhul amin. So he says, sure, there is a spirit involved that delivered it. Not the source of it. That delivered it, assigned by Allah, and he's the best of angels. He's called ruh. Ruh is means spirit, but it's a reference to who? When you see, when you read the, in the Quran, Ruhul Amin, you you understand it's who? Jibreel. And Allah called him Amin. What is Amin? Trustworthy. There's no one like it because it's so precious. It's 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 divine. It has to be protected and saved. And Allah is the ultimate protector. But He creates and employs agents to carry out His work, right? In creation, and Allah says, I have the best of the angels deliver this Quran to the heart of Prophet Muhammad so that you're not clear about what spirits are involved in, delivered, in delivering this, this beautiful revelation. What else does Allah Azza talk about as a distinction between poetry and the Quran? He talks about the process of revelation. He talks about what the process of revelation. This is a point also that trips up people pretty badly. Um, and I need to just also him looking at the at the at the verse. Give me one second, inshallah. I can't find the verse that I'm looking for. Okay. So Allah says in this surah that indeed Nazalabihi Ruhul Amin. Right? The the trustworthy spirit, Angel Jibreel is the one that delivered it. But where did he deliver it? So what Allah is now talking about is the process of revelation. Here's where people trip up. People look at the Quran and they want to evaluate the content and the message and see if this is really indeed divine, right? If this, is, if this makes sense, if it's something that we want to follow, be guided, guided by. So how do they analyze the Quran typically? people, especially coming from an uh, intellectual background, they open this book and they treat it as what? Like what? Like a piece of literature. The piece of literature. Like exactly like a human piece of literature. They, they, they think that it has to be sequential, right? It has to have, have, to have, follow, to have, it has to follow a, a traditional, typical human logic to be read as such, like a piece of literature, and it has to match the characteristics of a piece of literature because we defined, we human beings are so poor, we defined our logic to be, to, to be the ultimate logic. We don't recognize that we're cre created. We think we're creators, right? We are the, the, the we, we become the standard, so to speak. Our thoughts become the thoughts of truth, right? So whatever we produce is the ultimate reference. So we start, People literally start to do this. They start to try to match the Quran to the norms and the standards of literature. And what happens to them when they do this? They're going to notice it doesn't match that. For example, you see in the Quran a lot of repetition. You see a lot of bouncing back and forth. You see a story not told in its entirety. Are stories told in their entirety in the Quran in one place? There's one, one story that, that is as such. Which one? Yusuf. Yusuf. The only surah where the entire story of a prophet was placed in one chapter. 
we shouldn't even be calling it chapters. You notice what I just did? I'm following just the, the, the norms we've created with our own literature, so I call them chapters. We shouldn't call them chapters. It's not chapter. It's a poor translation of surah. But that's, that's what we have, right? That's the tool we have, the instrument, the, the linguistic instrument that we have. But it's really poor because it produces certain conclusions in our heads. So it cannot be read logically. What you notice is that the stories are used by Allah Azza wa to deliver certain lessons. So Allah will pick a portion of the life of Musa to address particular lessons in that particular place in the Quran. Then he will pick another part, perhaps from an earlier part of the life of Musa in a later chapter. She say, wait a minute, why did he say the end here? But well, later in the Quran, he said the beginning. Why is this is so confused? You literally hear people saying, this is so confused. Why does he keep repeating? Why is this verse this way here, talking about his life, but it's the same thing here, but the words are flipped. And they, could, they start to trip up on this. They're not understanding. This is not sequential. This is not a piece of human literature. This is addressing not only your mom, but it's addressing what? Your heart. It's operating with you through divine means. And it's divine logic, not human logic. So people who come to it with assumptions are going to trip up. And I cannot tell you how much this happens, even from personal experience. You have to let go of these assumptions to really be able to understand the power of the Quran. So what Allah says in this surah is that this Quran has divine source. It's pure truth. It was delivered by this trustworthy angel to where? He says to the Prophet, pay attention, on your heart. Say, wait a minute, what does that mean? He didn't say mind. How was the Quran delivered, brothers and sisters? Allah Azza wa Jalla, when he prepared Prophet Muhammad for their message, how did he prepare him? He had him retreat in the cave for a very long time to prepare what? His heart. Why? What, what do you mean? You say, well, I hear the Quran, so it doesn't, doesn't overwhelm my heart. It doesn't necessarily like cause me to just like, be stunned. Yeah, because our hearts are not necessarily ready. <coughs> if we are really ready, this Qur'an overwhelms. And what does Allah say about it in Surah Al-Hashr? لَوْ أَنزَلْنَا هَذَا الْقُرْآنَ عَلَىٰ جَبَلٍ لَرَأَيْتَهُ خَاشِعًا مُتَصَدِّعًا مِنْ خَشْيَةِ اللَّهِ He says that this Qur'an, if you really open your heart to it and really understand, and really start to let it do its work on you, if it was revealed onto a mountain, it would have caused it to really break down. Right? The power of the Qur'an, divine revelation. That's how it works. So the initial point of contact of the Qur'an for it to produce its effect, the way it operates from the divine source to earth, to human beings, is from the source, it was carried from the angels, from the preserved tablet, the lowest heaven, and from them, the, the, the angel Jibreel carried it by the will of Allah, and accordance with the timing of Allah to earth, but where specifically did he just Imagine this. Did he just say, bring a piece of paper and sit the Prophet next to him and say, hey, say after me. Just let's, let's just, did he say it this way? No, it didn't. By the way, it wasn't revealed like this. How was it revealed? We have no idea. There was an interaction with Jibreel and the words were recited somehow onto the heart of Prophet Muhammad What do we hear about what happened to him when revelation came down? What happened to his forehead? Sweat. The Prophet tells us that he was used to hear this ringing bell sound that is so powerful, it, it stunned him. 
it was overwhelming, it was sad, he would break into sweats, he would become actually heavy. A prophet, you know, a companion prophet, Muhammad says, one day, you know, I was sitting next to the Prophet and they were really close, and the 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 leg of the Prophet his 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 thigh was leaning on the leg of the of the companion, and he said, Subhanallah, when revelation came down, they would, the, the companions knew because the Prophet would be silent and then he would break into these sweats and he would be overwhelmed. He says his leg was about to crush me. It became so heavy. How? What's How does Quran into a heart fall, cause the body to be heavy? We have no idea. It's in, it's in a realm beyond our imagination. So what's happening in that moment? Quran is being what? Poured into his heart, not mind. Into his heart. SubhanAllah, in a process that is divine beyond our comprehension. And he had to now process it within his heart by the power of Allah Azza wa If it was just recited to him and the process and then took it to recite it to us, there will be none of the effect that we see. This is the process of revelation and inspiration. So it had to really literally become part of the spirit of Prophet Muhammad Like literally mingle with his heart. And then when it was really internalized by this process, he would wake up from this and start to do what? Recite it. Is it coming from his mind? It's coming from where? His heart. SubhanAllah. In what language did he now deliver it? Bilisanin Arabian Mubin. He says that, that next, the third step in the process of inspiration revelation is now for this messenger who's been touched and inspired within his heart by this message, that this message became part of that heart, right? He now starts to communicate it to creation through a language they understand. But because of that language, came not out of a, just an intellect, came out of a heart that was touched by divine revelation and mingled itself with it by the power of Allah Azza wa Now the words he conveys have spirit to them, have ruh in them. So they're not just talking to minds, they're talking to what? hearts and they move hearts now that's that's why it's able to change Umar ibn al-Khattab and Abu Bakr and Ali and turn them into giants subhanallah people open their hearts as such and they really listened to the revelation it will do that to them but if they treat it as a piece of literature <clears throat> through just intellect it doesn't necessarily you don't get there it's a process as well it will guide you if you open your heart but it's really ultimately understand it's a message for the mind and the heart as well. And it begins really with the heart. Make sense? So Allah talks about all of this in this beautiful surah. Let's inshallah go back and um, start and pick, you know, pick some verses inshallah and passages to, to kind of um, uh, reflect on. Uh, one more thing I should, actually I want to mention. One of the beauties of this surah is that when Allah addresses the stories of the mess of the of the of the uh, prophets before. He tells us the stories to um, draw these highlights about remember the nature of revelation, the consistency, because people rejected the Quran and he said, okay, let me take you back into history and show you the power of revelation, how consistent it was, how it changed people, but also the consistent reactions and the hostility. And what happened to people who were hostile? And by the way, you're calling this poetry. So Allah Azrael does two things in the stories. And this is going to be one of the distinctive features of this surah. So for example, he'll talk about 
uh, let's say, you know, he'll begin with Musa, then he'll talk about Ibrahim, then he'll talk about uh, Nuh alayhi salam. So let me show you what he says about, uh, one second, inshallah. Okay. End of surah, end of the passage about Musa alayhi salam. Pay attention with me. Keep this in mind. You can make a mental note. 68. When he wraps up the story about Musa alayhi salam, Actually, let me do, we can look at the beginning. No, let's look at the end. He says, وَإِنَّ رَبَّكَ لَهُوَ الْعَزِيزُ الرَّحِيمُ And indeed, your Lord, Allah Azawajal, is Aziz. What does Aziz mean? Aziz means, by the way, is uniquely powerful. Aziz, Azza Shay, Azza means really it became rare, something rare and unique. But, and, and specifically here, it's referencing the power of Allah Azawajal. He's Aziz. Like, right? Like mighty. Mighty. Powerful, right? And who also is what? Rahim. If it wasn't if it wasn't merciful, he wouldn't send us this. He cares so much. People miss this point. So he combines both. So he says, and then he says, What do Alihim? So tell them the story, tell them the news of Ibrahim. And then at the end of Surah Ibrahim, at the passage about Ibrahim, verse 104. Too. Then begins. The passage about Nuh saying, المرسلين, The people of Nuh, the, of Nuh the, the, the tribe of Nuh, did takdeeb. They lied. And they denied the messengers. And then he tells us what happened with Musa and them in their encounter. And then he wraps it up by saying, um, verse 140, وَإِنَّ رَبَّكَ You tell me. The next one is Thamud, right? And Allah Azza wa Jal is going to talk to us about Salih, Prophet Salih and Thamud. How does he begin it? Kadhabat Thamudu al Murzalin. Same beginning? Oh, Thamud. So Nuh's people lied and rebelled. The beginning. Beginning of the, the passage about Thamud and Salih. The people of Thamud that lied and denied the messenger. Subhanallah. And then wraps up with what? This is the fourth instance. Uh, where is it? Verse 175. Right? Then he's going to talk to us about Shu'aib and his people. How do you think it begins? And at the end of it, verse 191. And then ends. How does it sound to you, first of all? Poetic. Isn't that amazing? It's very poetic. There's a remarkable rhyme and a meter through the surah. But it's not to just tell the, hey, by the way, I'm poetry here, right? It's to strike the mind of the Arab at the time. I say, you want to really hear special divine poetry? Hear this. That's number one. But he's also asking, you see, that's when, I, when, I, you know, when we talked about the content and the impact, to differentiate this divine poetry from human poetry, it makes sense, right? But also, why is he doing this metering? Why is he doing this rhyming? Because Allah doesn't just, brothers and sisters, um, talk randomly. There's purpose to his talk. There's intention, there's a goal, there's an impact. You know people who just talk nonsense? That's, that's what poets do. Yeah, just let's just have fun, entertain, waste time, right? No, Allah doesn't. There's not a random letter in his language. And it's designed to produce outcomes, change in enlightened people. 
etc., right? So when he begins each passage by كذبت, 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 كذبت. These people lied. These people lied against the messengers. And then he tells us what happens to them. They perish. And then the wrap-up, the end of this, the passage is, and Allah is the most mighty, the most merciful. Kadaba, and then the most mighty, most merciful. What do you notice about this? Even if you're like a kindergarten kid. Oh, there's a lot of what? Similarity. So the whole story of the story of, you know, the whole story in the life of Nuh and his people, the whole story of the life of Salih and Thamud, the whole story of Musa and Fir'aun is wrapped up with they perished and Allah is mighty. Allah is merciful. The story of uh, Ibrahim. They perished and Allah is mighty. The story of Shu'ayb and his people. They perished and Allah is mighty. Allah says, do you see any other outcome? How about change now, right? Like, when are you going to believe that its source is Allah? There's no other way that, he, that you could have seen this remarkable consistency. Right? In the stories of all the prophets, they didn't even see each other. Right? And in the reactions of people, and in the outcome, and what happened to them, Allah says, I'll wrap up the whole story in two verses. Kadabu, they perished, and what happened? Allah triumphs at the end. Do you see any other outcome? What a beautiful, even style to this surah. Right? And you often see this in the Quran, feature of the Quran. Allah wraps up the whole surah in few verses at the end. Pay attention to them. That that, that that becomes the ultimate lesson and insight that we have to draw. Sometimes we get so wrapped up in the details. We forget what the details are about. The details are about lessons. And what is the lesson? Allah is one. Allah is the only one you have. Allah is beautiful. Allah is perfect. Allah is powerful. And there is no power but His power. And Allah is the most merciful. And there is no mercy like His mercy. Turn and rely on Allah Hazrat and don't worry. And you're going back to Allah Hazrat. And this is your healer. You cannot be guided without it. Here it is. That's what Allah said. There are those who keep rejecting this despite seeing evidence over and over and over that if you resist this, you're not going to do well. And you're going you're to be misguided, subhanAllah. This is what the surah is ultimately about. So inshallah, a few verses that we'll talk about. Surah Shara begins with, declaration that tilka ayatul kitab al-mubin remember this is a, a chapter about what the quran allah says beginning the surah tilka these are the evident signs of this manifest the evident manifest signs of this book remember manifest beautiful these signs produce incredible outcomes on your hearts so allah's declaring it as a distinction from poetry then he says who was concerned now with the reactions of people? Prophet Muhammad and what happened to his heart? Because he was so human. He was so affectionate. He was so caring. Remember, he was a special heart. The heart of a teacher, brothers and sisters, look at what happened to teaching nowadays. People who stand in front of students, their heads are concerned about research, money, and the people in front of them mean nothing. For many teachers, not all. There are people who are really blessed. They're treating it as just an intellectual endeavor. That's it. But even those who care, supposedly, they say, oh, I want to teach you, you know, make you understand. Do they necessarily care in their heart? Maybe some do, majority don't. The best of teachers are one, ones who do what? Carry a message, let's say intellectual mm. message, but their hearts are what? Concerned with upbringing the students, their growth. They have a relationship with them. They become mentors. 
Not everybody should be called a teacher. Not everybody should be called an educator, right? Because if they don't, if they lack that intention of care and affection for their students, they're not going to be raised the same way. Impossible. And and by the way, try to remember, you know, you know, we often have this teacher in our heads that really had an impact on us, right? Every single one. I know if I ask you, but tell me the one teacher in your childhood that you really loved, and there, the picture is there. You'll have one at least, isn't it true? True? Not? Anybody can shake their head a little bit for me? True. Okay. True. 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 SubhanAllah. And all the other nonsense that happened. And there are people like, I remember I grew up, they used to hit us too. It was rough. Right? I don't know how many of you got hit. Anybody? Raise hand. No. Yeah? Am I the only one here that got hit? Everybody's like, no, nah, I don't know what you're talking about, brother. Tell, you. <laughs> Tell the truth, don't worry. We can stop the recording. <laughs> yeah? Subhanallah. I'm like, how do you teach with that? Smack you. Make a mistake, smack you, right? SubhanAllah, we, we ravage the profession. It's not a profession. It's, it's, a, it's a mission, right? The best teacher is Prophet Muhammad Why? Because he was a mercy. And he cared so much. He, he was so concerned with the fate of everybody that he used to like kill himself with grief. So Allah says to him, Don't. You're about to kill yourself. For them to become believers. Now, why shouldn't you kill yourself? Allah Azza tells us beautifully in, in the Quran, Allah says, it's my will. First of all, if Allah wanted to coerce us, we would have become angels. Because I get this question a lot. Why didn't Allah make us angels? Well, if Allah made us angels, there's, then there is no story. Right? It's done. You wouldn't even be asking me this question. So clearly Allah had the wisdom because he already has a model of that. He's already done that. He has created angels without will. And they do exactly as Allah tells them. And some people say, why then he didn't make us as such? It's his wisdom. It's his knowledge that we cannot comprehend. He made a decision. He's the creator to set up a different reality, a new reality with a new creation that is endowed with what? Choice. Because Allah wants to be, not that He needs it. Allah wants to be worshipped, not just because you have to, because your nature dictates that, mm. but because you choose to. And that becomes better than what the angels do. Make sense? Even the angels are confused. Like, Ya Allah, why are you putting people who are corrupt earth? Allah says, I know that which you do not know. These people, when they make a choice, they're going to become even greater than the angels. SubhanAllah, the most beautiful thing is for you to worship Allah by your choice, not because Baba and Mama told you, right? There's nothing like it. And it's so beautiful to Allah that as we hear in the hadith that a man who just teared because he had a moment with Allah when he remembered Allah or she remembered Allah is under the shade of Allah. One moment. One moment in his life or her life where they stood with Allah and they shed a tear. Can you imagine? They're in Jannah. This is how Allah looks at us. And we think it's our actions. No, it's the mercy of Allah ultimately. But Allah is looking for just any evidence from you to show your affection to Allah. It means everything to Allah because you choose to. Right? So he told the Prophet, don't worry. And then he says, if I willed, if I willed, I would have made everybody a mu'min. Right? He already made the angels like this. But it's a decision of Allah. So at the end of it, 
At the end of it, and Allah is aware, He says, وَمَا أَكْثَرُ النَّاسِ وَلَوْ حَرَصْتَ الْمُؤْمِنِينَ He says, at the end of all your work, the majority of people, will they be believers? No, they will not be believers. And Allah, by the way, then you start saying, then it's okay. So the non-believer, it's okay. So not believing is okay. No, 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 no. Nobody's, Allah is not saying this. Allah is saying, most people will choose not to become believers. So you leave that to Allah. That's not your responsibility. Allah, Allah doesn't burden you beyond your capacity. He, first, you have to care. You have to care about the fate of people. Right? You have to do your best to guide them, to help them, to heal them, etc., etc. But then what happens at the end is the business of Allah. The hearts are not in your hand or my hand. Do you have much control over our children? Look at it. We do so much with them. But like, subhanAllah, what a difficult formula. Evidence. Allah, Allah is humbling us. Allah says, you don't, don't, it's not you. It's ultimately Allah's work. And Allah knows best. So he's telling the Prophet, him, calm down. Do your part. Right? Continue to care. Remind and guide people. Turn it to Allah. And Allah controls hearts. And Allah guides hearts. Don't worry about what happens next. So a beautiful message of Prophet Muhammad And for all of us. All of us that we need to really carry that beautiful spirit of trust in Allah as we do our work understanding the hearts of our family members, spouses, parents, children, community are in the hands of Allah. You cannot coerce, you cannot compel, you cannot force. Imagine now the actions of people who now kill in the name of faith. Wow. You're actually saying to Allah, you don't know what you're doing because they're kuffar. Allah's telling the Prophet, majority will not be. So, and he says, Are you forcing people to become believers? Literally, we have people now in all religions who want to force others. Literally, if you're, because, you know, you're the enemy. Allah never, never talks like this. And that's not the methodology of Allah on earth. So Allah now goes on to talk to us about the impact and, and a portion of the story of Musa salam. And we don't have time to go over these stories, you know, just kind of highlights. He talks to us about the encounter ultimately with the magicians and Fir'aun, right? But he specifically talks about something that happened within the heart of Musa. He received revelation, correct? Remember the work of revelation? How does it work? Delivered by the angel onto who? Jibreel, onto what? The heart of the messenger. How was the heart of Musa initially? Allah described it as a heart that was afraid. Afraid of what? When Allah told him, go meet Pharaoh, he said, what? Pharaoh? How, how do I handle that conversation? It's a hard conversation. And the guy is a tyrant. He kills. He was afraid. So Allah sent him signs to embolden him. He gave him the sign of the stick that turned into snake. And he told him, put your hand in your, in your, under your you know, uh, arm and bring it out. It was dark. It became light. Like he was stunned. But also the revelation was working his heart. What was the outcome? What happened to his fear? It slowly began to what? Be kind of to vanish. What was the work? That was the work of what? Allah's work. Revelation on the heart. So Allah showed us how when you start to trust Allah and allow the signs of Allah and his revelation to touch your heart, you're going to start to overcome what? Your fear, your anxieties. It heals you. So Allah healed even the temper of Musa 
And some people say, why does the messenger have a temper? It's a work of Allah. Allah wants to show us that even the messenger had temper, but also had what? Lisp. It is a, almost stuns me. The messenger's mission is to talk. And then he sends us one of the best messengers, and he had a problem in articulation. It's like, it's like if you chose me for a job, I mean, don't you just give me the skills so that I don't stumble on myself. Allah says, it's not your tongue. Because sometimes we get confused. Okay, if I knew this, if I had the intelligence of Chavez, I'll know how to talk philosophy better. Well, that's not what Allah gave you. And it's not really that. Do your part. Recognize your gift. Do what you can with them. The rest is on who? Allah. It's not your tongue. We stumble, Allah, in ourselves. We think it's our intelligence, our calculations, our tongues. No, do your part. You have to do that. Musa struggled with his tongue. He says, Allah, just can you untie the tie, my, the knot of my tongue, that I can do my work? That's it. He didn't complain. He said, yeah, Allah, just give, you could have given me a tongue like my brother Harun. But he didn't. And Allah deliberately chose that. And he wants to teach all of us, it's not the tongue. When you have that sincerity with Allah and do your part, use your resources, Allah is the one who determines outcomes and will make you successful in your work. If you start to rely on yourself, you rely on something so finite. And Allah can take the resource anytime away. Isn't it true? Anytime. And Allah wants to humble us to make us understand He is the source. He is the source. So we see now Musa being transformed and emboldened and he overcomes his fear. Allah says, look at the work of revelation on hearts, what it can do to you. Beautiful. So at the end of it, for Musa would be saying things like, Akhafu, Akhafu, Ay Allah, I'm afraid, I'm afraid. At the end of the passage, at the end of the story, when he was about, you know, when, when Fir'aun and his army was chasing him, and he was, the, the sea was in front of him, and the army was behind him. What happened to the people around Musa? They freaked out. Normal reaction. Inna <gasps> lamudrakun. Verse 61. They said, oh Musa, we're about to be what? Captured and killed. That's it. They're about to, 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 to uh, uh, arrest us, detain us. Khalas, it's over. We have no way to escape. What was his reaction? At the beginning of the story, how would he react? How would he, would he have reacted? I'm a, <gasps> You're right. We're done. Right? Remember, because Allah described him. Fearful. How did he react at the end? Verse 62. No, 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 no. I'm aware of something big that I've seen the evidence of. He, he strengthened his eyes. He said, no, 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 don't worry. Even though the enemies in front of them are about to just يعني, like, unleash on them, they're seeing them. Right? He says, no, no, no. Ma'ya, with me is Allah right now and he will guide me to the opening. He didn't see the opening, but he's with Allah. That moment of recognition, brothers and sisters, is what this whole message is about. You know when we study this, we can't remember. For you to right now just recognize Allah is with me. But not just a God. Allah who's so caring, so merciful, he's the only source of power and healing, and he really can make things happen right now. Brothers and sisters, if you held that thought, and you really are convinced of it, and you see it in that moment, you're transformed. You will not see problems or fears. and You'll calm down for sure. And Allah will start to open doors for you and you'll see it. This is what this is about. All to come to that realization 
That's why we do dhikr. You know why we do dhikr? Why we have to keep saying subhanallah? For you to remind your mind to bring your thoughts from fear and anxiety back to Allah is the source. Allah is perfect. Allah is, Allah is with me. Allah is with me. Allah is with me. Calms you down. Strengthens you. That's what the message is about. Allah showed it to us. And then he tells us, look at what happened to Fir'aun. Drowns completely. Allah says, do you need more evidence for you to calm down? Allah triumphs overall. And this is the nature of revelation. Nobody can defeat revelation. No way. And that's another characteristic. Then he goes on to talk to us about Ibrahim. Same story. All of them had to encounter difficulties. And his own father gave him trouble. So here is the reaction again. Reaction of people is to disbelieve in Ibrahim And Ibrahim was concerned for them. And he wanted to teach them as well. So what, is he, what does Allah highlight about him? Something so beautiful that I want you now to pay attention to in this surah. And it's a beautiful way of teaching. Uh, I, I come, subhanAllah, a lot of the, especially young people, actually young and old, a lot of young people struggle with this because they, they're just, we're not raised to know Allah. So they'll come to, they'll come and ask me questions like, what, what, why is this verse this way? I'm having doubts. And many of them, I'll be honest with you, they don't consider themselves Muslims even, but they'll be being, you know, they're tripping up on verses. So I say, I have this verse that says this about women, this verse, this, this, and there's inconsistency between this verse and this verse, so I'm confused, I'm, I don't know how to believe in this. You know why I draw my lessons in answering these questions from? Prophet Ibrahim alayhi salam, here it is, <laughs> subhanAllah, in verse, um, in verse 70, when he says, he says to his father, because his father's like, oh, I'm gonna, we're going to kill you if you don't change your way. He says, What are you worshipping? So what did he do? Instead of being caught up with this verse and that verse, what did he point him to? Who are you worshipping? Do you know who you worship? I don't actually, personally, I don't address questions like that. Like when they come to me, it's like I don't say, mm, that verse, that answer. Let's, because when they have it, when they have an answer for this, what are they going to do next? What is it? Exactly. Barakallah They're going to go to the next doubt. So I tell them, by the way, this is a non-ending kind of uh, cycle. We're, we're not going to finish tonight, right? We could be sitting hours and going to come to me tomorrow and the day after with new set of doubts. Because you're not grounded. You didn't ask the fundamental question. Let go of the Quran. Put that aside. Let's talk about you and where you came from. How about that as a question? Brothers and sisters, if we don't start the conversations with our children, community, with Allah first, we're going to trip up. Because we can't. If you don't know your source, how are you going to believe in anything he says? The first fundamental question, does it even exist in your mind? The first question that I address with people, when they come to me with question, when I see them struggling and they're not, like, they don't believe, is let's talk whether God exists. And then when they're convinced of this, I think then the second question, what's his nature? Because there are many people who believe in God, but their gods are human. Their gods are multiple. Their gods are fighting the war, you know, I always say God of thunder and God of rain. And, right? They're, and I say, is that acceptable? Let's analyze it. You tell me. I swear to you, when people, when people young people, open their hearts and they really become objective, they'll start saying no, no, no. 
and then to one God, yes, yes, yes. And a God who's so beautiful and perfect, yes, yes, yes. It's so beautiful, so profound, so logical. It's not even about, the mind even sees it, and the heart sees it. Then we'll talk about, okay, what did he send? Right? Now, because now if I struggle with a verse, I can attribute it back to who? He's wise, and I don't know. I cannot come up with answers for everything. You cannot come up with answers for everything. It's impossible. So I draw the analogy of a parent and a child. I say, well, the parent knows a lot more than the child. If the child didn't know the parent, first of all, they're not going to listen to anything. But the, ch- the father and the mother ultimately ask the child to trust them. I can't explain to you why you have to go to bed at 9 o'clock. It's good for you. They say, no, it's not. But you have to go to bed at 9 o'clock, right? You have to go to school. No, I don't have to go to school. I know everything. The five-year-old will tell you, I know everything. No, you don't know anything. But he cannot see it. She can't see it. They have to grow older to say, ah, when they have children, they'll get it. True? If you are struggling with explaining the nature of God, draw the lesson or the analogy of a father, mother, and a child. Every single person I share this with, they say, "Mm, finally, I see it. You cannot know everything. You have to trust. So when I struggle now with a verse, I can say, I'm going to let go of God altogether, of everything just because of a verse. Because we already accepted that he exists. So whenever they, so that's why you have to establish principles first. If they're convinced God exists, and they halas, there's no problem, like, because the alternative makes no sense. Correct? And he has to be beautiful, he has to be one. Then if I struggle with a verse, it's like me struggling with the command of my parent. I say, well, I don't know, Chavez, Baba. Like, I don't like what you're saying, so you don't exist. You're like, what? How does... How do you go from, I don't like what you're saying, to I deny you? Does that make sense? Total foolishness. Yet people do it all the time. So, but if I accepted him, and he's beautiful, mm, now I have to trust things he says. A lot of things I'm going to understand. A lot of things I'm not going to understand, and it's okay. Because if I have all the answers, then I'm like the parent. But I'm not the parent. And I cannot assume that I know everything now. That means I'm so arrogant. But I'm not really thinking about my ego. So people need to be reminded that they're human, that they cannot know everything. When they establish these principles, now we can what? Go address what? The verses. See the process? Ibrahim did this. He didn't have Quran with him. But he says, who's your Lord? Because they're not thinking. They're just worshiping things. Then he says to them, well, let me tell you this. Uh, he says, why are you following? Why are you doing things uh, like this way? They say, no, no, we're following our gods. He says, these are really gods? Why are you following these gods? They say, because our parents did, so they're not thinking. And he says to them, look at this, 72. He says, okay, I want you to think. He says, are they hearing you when you call them? Are they benefiting you or harming you? They say, no, 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 but we found our parents doing this. He says, Aren't you seeing what you're worshiping? You and your fathers and your mothers before you? They're indeed all these things that you worship. Adunli, verse um, 77. He says, these are all enemies of you and me, except the one. These gods, false gods, are all enemies. They don't do any, they cannot do anything, right? But they're harming you because you took them up as gods. All are enemies except which God? The God. 
except the one who cherishes the world. So he's already inviting to think about what God should do. Remember when I said question number two should be about what? Not only God exists, but what's his nature? They don't know God. They assume like God can be anything. He says, no, he has to be a Rabb. What is Rabb? He cherishes and sustains and cares about all the worlds. Then he gives them examples. He says, God, my God, is the one, Khalaqani, He's the one who creates. Who creates for you? Did they create anything? They're stone. Did they create? Think. So I actually always ask this question. So what made you? Go back and study. Ask any honest scientist in molecular biology or physiology. Tell them what is the origin of the cell. I asked while I was in a conversation one of the top researchers out of this community. Because we're talking about what's called synthetic biology. So somebody shared with me, a Muslim, much of a thinker as well. He said to me, we're now in the age of what's called synthetic biology. Have you heard of synthetic mm-hmm. biology? So the, the whole idea of manipulating genes. Creating new cells. And creating new cells. So I said, fine, I'm going to run it by the top-notch molecular biologist who comes up with this, well, I'm medicine. He's the guy who makes medicines from scratch. He's like a top, very accomplished. He said to, I said to him, can you create a thing from nothing? Because I know it doesn't. He says, impossible. If anybody tells you this, they don't know what they're talking about. To this day, we, even when we manipulate genes, the original substance, we cannot create it. We have to take an original, right? We have, we have scientists right here. Yeah, you, have to. you have to take the original thing and then adjust it and manipulate it. He says, it's impossible. It's Nonsense. No way. No way. What is it? No way. No way. You have to take an original gene, original this. I'm not a person. Like the DNA has to be there. And then you manipulate it. You cannot create it. You cannot create the chromosome. He says that 23 chromosomes, nobody can create them. The original. He says we can't. And he laughed when I spoke with him, right? So there it is. Here, Ibrahim said it. Who made it? There has to be a source. Otherwise, it came from nothing. Does that make sense? Impossible. To this day, no one can say the world came from nothing. It has to be a source. That's, so he says, he's the one who made me and then guided me. And then he says, he's the one who feeds me. He made the food and he made the drink. And when I get ill, he's the one who cures. So what is he doing here? Enlightening them about what God should be. That's my God. What does your God do, Mr. Stone? Does nothing. He just sits there, right? Can I even hear you? He says, are you fools? Yet we're doing the same behavior now. But look at, again, the methodology of who? Ibrahim, beautiful methodology. And I, and I wonder how many of us, when we teach people, work with them, we teach them about Allah. Not just what, what do we do? Allah said, pray. Allah said, haram. Allah said, halal. Allah said, can't do that. What are we doing here? Lazy teaching. Lazy teaching. We don't know ourselves who God is, but we give them the instructions of God. And they're like, what kind of instructions are these? You have no relationship with God. It's like exactly the people of Ibrahim who are worshipping what? Idols. They don't know God. They needed someone to remind. It's like, hey, by the way, this is a dumb thing. Right? Let me teach you about the one. Not about his instructions. His instructions we'll talk about next. We flip it in our cultures. Little wonder many of our kids have left. Because they don't know Allah. And I blame Allah, we don't, I don't blame them. Right? But Allah is so beautiful. When people have an intimate relationship with them, they're like the instructions, subhanAllah, they'll come to them. 
And nobody is going to be perfect with following instructions. It's okay, right? Let them have a relationship with Allah Azza first. But that's the most fundamental. Then I'm going to wrap up with this, inshallah. This is a dua that's like one of my favorite duas in the Quran. Uh, let me actually just wrap up by alluding to what, how the rest of the surah operates. We talked about it. So I'm just going to go from story of Musa to Ibrahim to Nuh to uh, Saleh to, you know, and, and then Shu'aib and, 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 and Lut. And then, see, with that consistency, telling us what the outcomes were, how the revelation worked, and then wrap up the end of the surah with a message to Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Remember what he said to him at the beginning? Don't grieve. So he says to him in verse 214, what is your responsibility? He says, don't worry. I just wanted to remind and guide, begin with your family. That's your job. Then he says, and lower your wing, be humble with the believers. And if they reject you, what should you do? I'm free of what you're saying. I turn to Allah. See, leave it to who? Allah wa tawakkal ala. Now, Allah is going to use two attributes. He says, turn to and rely on who? Give me two attributes and names of Allah that should go into that verse. Don't look at it. Based on what you heard from the other passages of the Quran when Allah spoke of the other messengers. How did each passage end? Then when he finally wrapped up the surah, talking to Prophet Muhammad sallallahu in verse 217, he says, Tawakkal, put your dependence completely, full trust, and know that you're with who? Al-Aziz al-Rahim. SubhanAllah, it's just beautiful. It's beautiful. God of all of them. God of all of And he's especially the powerful, the merciful. Turn and rely on someone who's like that. Not flimsy stone, right? No power but with Allah. No mercy but with Allah. And Allah told us throughout these stories before, Aziz Rahim, Aziz Rahim, Aziz Rahim. Then turn to him, let's apply it. See, it's easy for us to say, oh, we believe in this. Do we apply it in our lives? Then he tells him something about Allah with him. Interaction right now. He says, الَّذِي يَرَاكَ حِينَ تَقُومُ وَتَقَلُّبَكَ who says, right now, why should you trust in him? In him, he says, right now he sees you when you get up. And when you put your head on the ground and you're sitting with this crowd, when we're making sujood, imagine in Mecca, millions. You're like sitting, putting your head on the ground. It's like, how is he going to see me? He says, I see you when you put your head on the ground amongst millions. Billions. I'm going to, I see you as if no one else exists and sees you, and you, and you, and aware of you completely right now. He's trying to build an intimate connection right now, an awareness that Allah is with you when? Right now. Beautiful. Because that's a thought that liberates, that empowers, that heals. Then he says, you want me to tell you upon who the shaitans fall or come? Because we often say like, the shaitan is going to affect such and such. And Allah says, the ones who really ultimately really follow the shaitan are a fact, a theme. The ones who really don't want, they want to continue to rebel. Those are the ones who ultimately get deluded by the shayateen. And subhanAllah, so that's the end of the surah instruction to Prophet Muhammad But I want to just leave you with a thought about Ibrahim, something beautiful he leaves us with. When he talked to his people about Allah, Allah is real for him, brothers and sisters. I mean, Allah is not... 
something, just a, a fact, right? He feels the presence of Allah right now. He sees Allah as his source. Now, when does, where does faith in, about Allah, our understanding of Allah is show up in our worship? Which act of worship really shows your really closeness to Allah the most? Salah, but Salah can become technical. You get in struggling. Where do you pay attention? What act of worship do you really put your heart into? Dua. Dua. Dua really because you really feel, because you're asking about things for you. So it really, it brings up what? How much you really understand Allah. If you didn't believe Allah hears you, you will not be making Dua. True? If you don't think Allah is capable, why are you asking Him? You're actually acknowledging, I believe Allah hears sees and is powerful and can do things. That's why it's sad when we doubt. We're making dua and then you doubt, right? Allah loves dua because you put your heart into it and you're aware of Allah right now. You really have khushu'ah, do you notice? We always have khushu'ah and dua. So dua also, what do you ask for? We oftentimes ask for needs and we get caught up with our temporal needs. So dua is reveal what your ultimate aspirations are. True? Where your concerns are. People like, Allah just like, Ya Allah, give me, remember the million dollar story? Ya Allah, give me a million and 25,000. Ya Allah, give me a million and 25,000. They said, why are you asking for a million and 25,000? He said, because of the zakat. I get the perfect million, and 25,000 will be the zakat on the million. I don't want, so I'm asking for that on top of it. But he forgot, there's 2.5% on the 25,000. Should have. It never ends. You see my point? <coughs> That's the aspiration. I mean, like we know it. And it's okay, ask whatever you want to ask, but what are you asking about? And do you doubt Allah when you ask? And are you putting conditions on Allah? See my point? What would Ibrahim ask for? We've seen a lot of instances in the Quran about the du'as of Ibrahim, and Allah's telling us, learn wisdom. Learn what to ask for. Learn the priorities. These are the things you really should be concerned with. Du'as reveal where your heart is. So where is Ibrahim's heart? When he taught his people, he says, my Lord feeds me, guides me, created me, and he's the one who gives me life and death, and he's the one who forgives me on the day of judgment. Then he turned to Allah to, to really show his care, his love of Allah. That's where faith shows up. He says, Rabbi, it's real for him. What did he ask? He says, verse 83, Rabbi habli hukmah, Six things he asked for. They're the summary of all important things. What do you think these six things would be? What would you ask? If I tell you six things to ask for, what would you ask for? Here's what he asked for. Let's learn them quickly. We don't have time to go over them. First thing he asked for, Ya Allah, grant me good judgment here. Because he doesn't trust himself. He knows that my judgment can really sway me away from truth. Isn't it true? Any moment. Ya Allah, grant me sound judgment to live life soundly, to make wise decisions. Look at the next thing he asked for. Al-Hiqni. Ibrahim is asking, Ya Allah, join me with the righteous. Company is important, brothers and sisters. You can't survive on your own. But Ibrahim is asking, the king of the righteous is saying, Ya Allah, yeah. he's so humble, he says, I want to be with the righteous. Can you imagine? Look at the humility. He didn't say, I'm the righteous. 
Join me with the righteous. You can't make it in life. So he asked for things in this life. What were they? Judgment and wisdom. And join me with the righteous. He understood in life here, that's what you need to get to your destination. Mind that can see that is not arrogance. Heart that is open, but also companionship of the righteous. And to also be joined with them in the next world. Make sense? Now, I'm going to die. What do I ask for after my death until the day of judgment? He's so smart. He's thinking about his life beyond his life. Not just the hereafter. Look at what he says next. He says, I'm going to die one day. I want my life to be multiplied. How do I multiply my life? He says, Ya Allah, here's what he says. Grant me honorable mention. Words at the tongues of people after I die. What does that mean? What do you think? Make people think well of me after I'm dead. That when they think of me, they think of good things I've done and first praise me for them. Not that he wants praise, because he wants people to follow a good example. And then follow the good deeds that I've done. Why? Because if people follow what you've done and it's good, it's adding to your life. Even after your death. Imagine the blessing that when you died, people are talking about your good life and your goodness and your mercy and your care and you have left things that benefit people. He's asking for that. He's already thinking of how to multiply his life by good, good reputation, intelligence. Then for the hereafter, what does he ask for? Ya Allah, for the hereafter, make me among the inheritors of paradise. And he doesn't forget about his father. He says, Ya Allah, forgive my father. And do not disgrace me on the day of judgment. Pay attention to that dua. It encompasses all good things in this world, hereafter, and in between. What is the in between? The point at your death, when you die, until resurrection. Very intelligent. And I'll stop here. Alhamdulillah Rabbil Alameen. What's the score?